Chapter Six of Anna Karenina, Book Four, by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Alexey Alexandrovitch had gained a brilliant victory at the sitting of the Commission of the seventeenth of August, but in the sequel, this victory cut the ground from under his feet. The new commission for the inquiry into the condition of the native tribes in all its branches had been formed and dispatched to its destination with an unusual speed and energy inspired by Alexey Alexandrovitch. Within three months a report was presented. The condition of the native tribes was investigated in its political, administrative, economic, ethnographic, material, and religious aspects. To all these questions there were answers admirably stated, and answers admitting no shade of doubt, since they were not a product of human thought, always liable to error, but were all the product of official activity. The answers were all based on official data furnished by governors and heads of churches, and founded on the reports of district magistrates and ecclesiastical superintendents, founded in their turn on the reports of parochial overseers and parish priests, and so all these answers were unhesitating and certain. All such questions as, for instance, of the cause of failure of crops, of the adherence of certain tribes to their ancient beliefs, etc., Questions which, but for the convenient intervention of the official machine, are not, and cannot be solved for ages, received full, unhesitating solution. And this solution was in favor of Alexey Alexandrovitch's contention. But Stremov, who had felt stung to the quick at the last sitting, had, on the reception of the Commission's report, resorted to tactics which Alexey Alexandrovitch had not anticipated. Stremov, carrying with him several members, went over to Alexey Alexandrovitch's side, and not contenting himself with warmly defending the measure proposed by Karenin, proposed other, more extreme measures in the same direction. These measures still further exaggerated in opposition to what was Alexey Alexandrovitch's fundamental idea, were passed by the commission, and then the aim of Stremov's tactics became apparent. Carried to an extreme, the measure seemed at once to be so absurd that the highest authorities, and public opinion, and intellectual ladies, and the newspapers, all at the same time fell foul of them, expressing their indignation both with the measures and their nominal father, Alexey Alexandrovitch. Stremov drew back, affecting to have blindly followed Karenin, and to be astounded and distressed at what had been done. This meant the defeat of Alexey Alexandrovitch. But in spite of failing health, in spite of his domestic griefs, he did not give in. There was a split in the commission. Some members, with Stremov at their head, justified their mistake on the ground that they had put faith in the commission of revision, instituted by Alexey Alexandrovitch, and maintained that the report of the commission was rubbish, and simply so much waste of paper. Alexey Alexandrovitch, with a following of those who saw the danger of so revolutionary an attitude to official documents, persisted in upholding the statements obtained by the revising commission. In consequence of this, in the higher spheres, and even in society, all was chaos, and although everyone was interested, no one could tell whether the native tribes really were becoming impoverished and ruined, or whether they were in a flourishing condition. The position of Alexey Alexandrovitch, owing to this, and partly owing to the contempt lavished on him for his wife's infidelity, became very precarious. And in this position he took an important resolution. 
To the astonishment of the commission, he announced that he should ask permission to go himself to investigate the question on the spot, and, having obtained permission, Alexey Alexandrovitch prepared to set off to these remote provinces. Alexey Alexandrovitch's departure made a great sensation, the more so, as just before he started, he officially returned the posting fares allowed him for twelve horses to drive to his destination. "'I think it is very noble,' Betsy said about this to the Princess Mayakaya. "'Why take money for posting horses, when everyone knows that there are railways everywhere now?' But Princess Mayakaya did not agree, and the Princess Tverskaya's opinion annoyed her indeed. "'It's all very well for you to talk,' she said when you have I don't know how many millions. But I am very glad when my husband goes on a revising tour in the summer. It's very good for him and pleasant travelling about, and it's a settled arrangement for me to keep a carriage and coachman on the money. On his way to the remote provinces, Alexey Alexandrovitch stopped for three days at Moscow. The day after his arrival he was driving back from calling on the Governor-General. At the crossroads by Gazetoy Place, where there are always crowds of carriages and sledges, Alexey Alexandrovitch suddenly heard his name called out in such a loud and cheerful voice that he could not help looking around. At the corner of the pavement, in a short, stylish overcoat, with a low-crowned fashionable hat, jauntily askew, with a smile that showed a gleam of white teeth and red lips, stood Stefan Arkadyevitch, radiant, young, and beaming. He called to him vigorously and urgently, and insisted on his stopping. He had one arm on the window of a carriage that was stopping at the corner, and out of the window were thrust the heads of a lady in a velvet hat and two children. Stefan Arkadyevitch was smiling and beckoning to his brother-in-law. The lady smiled a kindly smile, too, and she waved her hand to Alexey Alexandrovitch. It was Dolly with her children. Alexey Alexandrovitch did not want to see anyone in Moscow, and least of all his wife's brother, he raised his hat, and would have driven on, but Stefan Arkadyevitch told his coachman to stop, and ran across the snow to him. "'Well, what a shame not to have let us know. Been here long. I was at Dusset yesterday, and saw Karinin on the visitor's list, but it never entered my head that it was you,' said Stefan Arkadyevitch, sticking his head in at the window of the carriage, or I should have looked you up. "'I am glad to see you,' he said, knocking one foot against the other to shake off the snow." "'What a shame of you not to let us know,' he repeated. "'I had no time. I am very busy,' Alexey Alexandrovitch responded dryly. "'Come to my wife. She does so want to see you.' Alexey Alexandrovitch unfolded the rug in which his frozen feet were wrapped, and getting out of his carriage made his way over the snow to Darya Alexandrova. "'Why, Alexey Alexandrovitch, what are you cutting us like this for?' said Dolly, smiling. "'I was very busy.' "'Delighted to see you,' he said in a tone clearly indicating that he was annoyed by it. "'How are you?' "'Tell me, how is my darling Anna?' Alexey Alexandrovitch mumbled something and would have gone on. But Stefan Arkadyevitch stopped him. "'I tell you what we'll do tomorrow. Dolly, ask him to dinner. We'll ask Koznyshev and Petsov so as to entertain him with our Moscow celebrities.' "'Yes, please, do come,' said Dolly. We'll expect you at five or six o'clock, if you like. How is my darling Anna? How long? She is quite well, Alexey Alexandrovitch mumbled, frowning. Delighted, and he moved away towards his carriage. You will come, Dolly called after him. 
Alexey Alexandrovitch said something which Dolly could not catch in the noise of the moving carriages. "'I shall come round to-morrow,' Stepan Arkadyevitch shouted at him. Alexey Alexandrovitch got into his carriage, and buried himself in it, so as neither to see nor be seen. "'Queer fish!' said Stepan Arkadyevitch to his wife, and glancing at his watch he made a motion of his hand before his face, indicating a caress to his wife and children, and walked jauntily along the pavement. "'Steva! Steva!' Dolly called, reddening. He turned round. "'I must get coats, you know, for Grisha and Tanya. Give me the money.' "'Never mind. Tell them I'll pay the bill,' and he vanished, nodding genially to an acquaintance who drove by. End of chapter 6